The rest of us will go to James 1. Of all the topics um, that I could preach on, and James 1 tells us about trials, I don't feel very qualified to share with you. My life experience, some of the hardest things I've had to deal with has been as a pastor. Physically, I think the hardest thing I had to do was a root canal. And all of you that have had more than a root canal laugh. Keeping my mouth open for 45 minutes was a trial, but nothing in comparison to others. I've had serious surgery or cancer or death of a child, or a sibling, or a parent. All those very difficult things. I have tried to grieve with those who grieve at funerals, when I've had to do funerals of those who tragically died. I've tried to be in the middle of people's trials as a pastor, not uh, avoiding hospitals and um, other difficult times. All of our trials are different than anyone else. Even our spouse doesn't have the same exact trials that you have or I have. We have similar trials that we deal with as families, but even then, families don't have the same exact trials as individuals within the family. So I try to avoid saying this, I know what you're going through. I don't think I have said that recently. In my younger, probably youth pastor days, I may have tried to comfort people like that, but I don't try to do that now because I don't know exactly what someone's going through. I don't know the struggles that they have in their prayer closet or before the throne of grace when they're struggling even to talk to God or even wanting to talk to God. Trials, though, as... First Peter 1 tells us, and as we just sang, produce in us a life that is gold. It gets rid of the impurities of our character. And as James is going to tell us, it's going to produce in us something that is favorable. I was talking with someone yesterday morning about a marathon, husband and wife, and the wife signed up for the 5K, but she thought her spouse, that would be too far below him. So she signed him up for a marathon. 30 days before he was to run. And if you have ever watched a marathon on television, you get somewhat of a a flavor of what uh, the trial a marathon can be. You ever gone to the Boston Marathon and watch Heartbreak Hill at mile whatever it is, 19 or 20? Difficult uphill climb after running 20 miles. We all, I gasped whenever I heard, he had to run a marathon after 30 days. Yep. And he finished. (laughs) He did walk, though, after 18 or 19 miles. And walk and run and walk and run, as most of us would do to get started in training uh, for a marathon. But we all admire people who can run a marathon. Has anyone here run a marathon? Okay, so if if one hand was up, we would all be like, I'm going to go talk to that person after, during fellowship time. 
And maybe you say they're crazy. <laughs> People that run marathons, some of them are crazy. Um, I won't tell you stories of people that I've heard of what they do after because they've brutalized their body. But we all in, uh, appreciate people that run marathons because of endurance. We all admire people in the Olympics that can lift uh, bodybuilders and those who are really strong men that can lift 500 pounds, or I don't even know what the weight is, 500 pounds over their head. You say, that didn't happen overnight. None of us could go to the gym probably. I, I, maybe you can, but most of us okay, could not go to any Planet Fitness anywhere and just say, put 500 pounds on the bar and we get underneath it. If we did, everybody's heads in the gym would be looking at us. And most of you can tell that I, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to do that. Because it takes a lot of strength, a lot of training, a lot of, if I wanted to bench 500 pounds, I would have to be thinking bench press uh, push-ups from now until I don't know how long it would take me. Probably I would never get there. But that's what I had to eat, drink, sleep. Everything I eat would be along those lines so that I could lift that amount of weight. And if we had to run a marathon next year, if we all signed up, we're all as a church going to sign up for the Boston. Well, we actually can't. you got to qualify. So we'll sign up for the Lowell. Lowell has a marathon, I think. We'll all sign up for the Lowell Marathon. And <laughs> most of you would say, there's no way. No way. What would you do to get ready for a marathon? You would get up. You'd have to change your schedule. You'd probably spend less time on the Internet, less time with video games, less time with TV, and more time on the treadmill, on the treadmill, on the treadmill. You would be sick and tired of your treadmill, but you would go on your treadmill. And if it was nice outside like today, you'd be out. Rain or shine, you'd be out walking, running, trying to build up endurance. And people do for an earthly prize. James tells us about endurance, but before he gets to endurance, he talks about trials. We all struggle with trials, but James is going to tell us to have confidence. Now, I can have confidence. I can put on a confident face, but most of the time, I'm not very confident. If I had to go run a marathon, I would not be very confident because I know I have never run more than a couple miles. And a marathon is 10 times farther than I've ever run <laughs> in my life. And I wouldn't have very much confidence until I practice and practice and practice and practice. But God, through James, is telling the early church who is scattered abroad. Look with me at James 1.1. He's writing to Christians, Jewish believers, because the church has not really, this is before Paul's missionary journeys, or maybe at the very beginning of his missionary journey, so a lot of Gentiles are not getting saved yet. Mainly the church is primarily Jewish, and Paul is going to start his missionary journeys around the same time that James writes. And so uh, most of the believers in the Roman Empire are Jews that are scattered there from the persecution that uh, was from Acts 8 and Acts 11. So they are dispersed, they are refugees, and James greets them. A very short greeting for an epistle, and he has a very abrupt ending, which we'll see uh, in the months ahead. So we're going to focus today on verses 2 uh, to 5. 
Instead of trying to go quickly through James, a couple messages per chapter, I think it would be wise for us to go slowly and get, as epistles do, have a lot of truth and a very short amount of, of uh, words. And so every word is important, and every, as all of God's word is, but especially in the epistles, we don't want to miss something. And every verse is packed full of truth that we're going to try to uh, glean for ourselves and what we can learn. And these verses, I know, will be a blessing to you as they have been a blessing to me when I have faced various trials. So verse 2 starts with, Count it all joy, my brothers, Christians, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And if you saw this confidence during trials, often trials bring out in us a lack of confidence. But James tells us you can be confident. You can be a mature Christian, and mature Christians, one those who walk with God, many of you could stand up here having faced a trial with confidence or you know you're going to have surgery again, or you know you're going to have an uphill climb in the future, or you know life's going to be a challenge for you, and you have been told by a doctor or by others that your life is going to be difficult. You could stand up here with confidence and say, I have joy in my heart, even though I know my life is going to be difficult. That's what James would tell us. So we all struggle during trials. If you struggle to keep your eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, which is Hebrews 12, after the faith chapter, then you're in good company because Peter struggled to keep his eyes on Christ during a storm and started to sink. Mark, who writes Mark, is John Mark, who left Paul uh, on a missionary journey and went back. Matthew, with John, the apostle, both of these men, uh, fled Christ whenever he was arrested, the night of his arrest. And Paul, in, in Romans 7, uh, does the things that he doesn't wish he uh, would do as a Christian, struggles to walk with Christ. He struggles with uh, discouragement, why an angel has to come to him and encourage him at night at times. And you know, Peter, Mark, Matthew, Paul, and John are all holy men of God who are used to write Scripture. I chose these five men because they're all authors of some of our New Testament. You're in good company. James is going to encourage us to think like mature believers. And if you're going to think like a mature believer, you have to stop thinking like an immature believer. Now, we have, as a parent and as a youth pastor for sure, I would have junior high kids over to my house. And I had senior high kids in my house at times, Sunday night after church, we had senior high over sometimes, junior high over other times, and other times we had just seniors, so 12th graders. Those three groups were very different. Junior high was a lot more fun. It was a lot of fun. We did a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we played basketball. We played any game imaginable. We had burping contests and other stuff like that that you would say, 
Oh, that's gross. But if you haven't worked with junior high, junior highers think that is, even the girls think that's great. So they need to grow up. But they're 12, 13, 14 years old. They'll have time to grow up. And as they grow up, they, we didn't, with, with the seniors, the 12th graders over, maybe one class, but the others, <laughs> they didn't have burping contest. They didn't want it. They didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I had to entertain them the whole hour and a half that I had them until their parents came picking up. We actually sat and had conversations about college. And we talked about life. We talked about grades, and we talked about future and career and, and things that growing up adults talk about. If you go to a nursing home and visit people, they're not going to, they may have bingo, right, that you play, but they're not, it's not going to look like a youth activity. They're not going to be playing paintball and uh, other things that require a lot of physical activity. They'll be sitting around, and they'll have a different conversation about things that older people talk about. But we have different maturity levels, different things that people, how they look at trials. And you can, as a Christian, it doesn't matter your age, you can display Christian maturity when you face trials. And this is how James tells us to face trials, by rejoicing. The person who wrote the song that we just sang, Rejoice in the Lord, at age 28, I believe, he wrote that song. And he found out he had cancer in his eye, and he had to have that eye removed. Ron Hamilton. He wrote that song after that diagnosis, and maybe after the surgery, to tell us and encourage us. And I think that song is going to be passed down from generation to generation because it tells us how to respond in trials. It's a very good song. It's got very good lyrics worth memorizing and meditating on. And James tells us to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. James gives us great wisdom as we all face various trials. So what should our confidence look like if we are mature in our walk with the Lord? And maturing, we're getting closer to the Lord. We all have room to grow because we all struggle with this, and sometimes we fall and fail, and sometimes we have to say, God, I did not rejoice in that trial. I complained opposite of rejoicing. What does James tell us of how to rejoice and how to have confidence in trials? The first is a confident reaction. Here is the reaction. Whenever we get trials, our reaction displays how we're looking at our trial. If, if I love, love, love my car and my car gets a scratch by someone doing something dumb around my car, throwing a rock or taking a rock and just down the side of my car and I absolutely love my car, I'm going to flip out. I'm going to get very upset. My reaction shows my love, my focus. My focus is have a really nice car. Some of you really love your yard or your garden and you react poorly whenever animals sneak into your garden when you're sleeping and eat the, the, uh, the produce. You're like, I worked all this time in fertilizing and weeding, and now I'm feeding the wild animals. I don't even know who I'm feeding. And they're just coming and stealing my food. We react based on our love. And if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, 
our reaction in various trials will be one of rejoicing. This is the only commanded option. So if we will think this way, James is going to help us think as mature Christians need to think. Every trial, various trials, my only possible Christ-honoring reaction in this trial is rejoice. That's what he's saying. Count it all joy could also be translated only rejoice or only have joy. That's it. That's your only option if you're going to please God. Now, we're not talking about a lack of grief. If you have, as we have, um, we know people that have lost children, uh, tragically, uh, grief is definitely something that is in the forefront of our thinking. But we sing about joyful grief. Only a Christian can have joyful grief. And we're supposed to. Joy is not something that is happiness. Joy is different than happiness. Joy is something that is a choice, that is confidence. Joy is something that is not tied to tied to the trial. It is a consistent rejoicing in the Lord, as we just sang. It's a confident reaction. Because if I know that whenever God allows certain trials, as he did to Job, as he did to Stephen, as he did to all of the Christians in the New Testament, he allowed them to go through trials of various kinds. And as James writes to me, and he, as he writes to you, he's going to expect you and I to respond with rejoicing. Nothing can steal your praising of the Lord. Nothing. You you can always praise God, even in the harshest, most horrible situations. If your trial steals your song, then you need to grow as a Christian. Rejoicing is the only commanded option. And it says... Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. My brothers is Christians. James is coming alongside these Christians who have been dispersed. James himself is going to die as a martyr about 15 or so years after he writes this. And he's going to have various trials living in Jerusalem in a very hostile, um, nationalistic, as we learned in the book of Acts, what uh, the environment that the apostles and James ministered in Jerusalem You think it's hard to start a church and get people to trust Christ in New England in the 21st century? Try going back to the first century of Judaism and Roman oppression. Uh, Probably more difficult for sure. But rejoicing is the Christ-like option. As we're all following Christ, we're all brothers in Christ, this is the option that will please Christ. This is how Christ would respond in various trials, and he actually did respond in various trials with rejoicing and praising the Lord. Rejoicing means, a quote from an author, there's many authors, uh, several authors that I'll give you a quote from. These men have all written, I just have their name here, but they've written a commentary on the book of James. So this is from Theodore Epps' commentary on James. Rejoicing means We will have a deep-seated confidence that God knows what he is doing and that the results will be for his glory and our good. We don't have to know why. We don't have to know how it's all going to work out. We don't have to know when it's going to end. All we have to do is know who is behind this 
and trust him. It seems simple until we go through the difficult trials. And our, our uh, seeing of God and seeing uh, of his glory, and how in the world is this going to produce Christ's likeness in me? And we cannot see how at all it does. While we're in the middle of it, we're not at the end. And sometimes I don't know if Job ever found out why he lost all of his wealth and all ten of his children in one hour of time. But though God allowed Job to die, Job would continue to trust him. That is a rejoicing confidence that is not tied to circumstances. It's a confidence that God knows what he's doing, and I will praise him in the good times and in the bad. That's how mature people walk with the Lord, praising him in various trials. Verse 3 gives us a reason. So if I told you and you went to work and said, and your co-workers know that you're having car trouble, and they can see the blue smoke coming out of the back of your car, they can see something rattling on the ground or sparks coming out of the bottom of your car as you pull in to work tomorrow, and you're rejoicing that your car got you to work. Okay? And we may have, you may have been there. I've been there with a car or two or three. Um, so we've all had probably had a, a jalopy, a lemon of a car. And if your coworkers say, man, what is up with your car? You're like, yeah, I'm just glad God allowed it to get me to work. And you're able to praise the Lord for safety getting to work. And your coworkers, what? Why shouldn't you complain? And they'll probably use profanity. And here's some words that you can use. <laughs> Refer to your car. And you say, no, I'm going to rejoice in this. They're going to look at you like you have three heads. What? You're rejoicing in trials? And immature Christians will look at you and say, why can't we just let God have it whenever we have trials that he's behind? Oh, no. That's, that's how immature Christians deal with trials. Mature Christians can rejoice. Confidence. And so if, if someone will allow you to say, you know why I'm rejoicing that my car just got me to work? Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Wisdom comes after knowledge. Knowledge is necessary for a foundation that wisdom is then practical applying what you know to be true. So we know that God is sovereign. Yes, we know that. How do we know that? Psalm 145 tells us. And Genesis 1 tells us. And Genesis 2 tells us. And Genesis 3 tells us. And Genesis... Every chapter of the Bible shows us about who God is. And he is a sovereign God. And he's a loving God. And all of the circumstances that Satan is allowed to uh, send our way, that God allows in his wisdom is not going to change who God is. And so we need to change how we look at it because we need to know certain things as we go through various trials. And knowledge is important to, for us to live wisely. We have to know that God is always up to something good. Jim Berg says, always up to something good in our lives. Wisdom is knowing what is the next right God-pleasing response. 
Rejoicing is always a God-pleasing response in various trials. And here he gives the reason for the rejoicing. You know that the testing of your faith, the trying of your faith, produces steadfastness or endurance. If you look at the person who's training for a marathon and you look at them raining in, running in rain and shine, it'll be 90 degrees today, and if they run in 90-degree heat, and you're like, they're pouring sweat. They are struggling. And those people, something's not right. Nah, I'm not right up there. And they say, oh, no, something is right. I am producing in my body endurance because I want to run a marathon. Now we don't think <laughs> they're messed up. We think, wow, they've got a lot of character. They've got a lot of self-discipline. And we admire them then instead of thinking they're crazy. So we wisely rejoice. It requires knowledge. You will not rejoice in trials unless you have knowledge that's going to produce a rejoicing. That's a wise reaction to trials of various kinds. You have to know what God is doing, and he is testing your faith so that your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. And we sing a song, Oh, for a steadfast faith in God. It allows me to endure a lot of things on earth knowing that God is doing something good in and through my life. I don't have to understand it. I just have to, sometimes I just have to endure it. And if you're going to run a marathon, here's how you do it. One foot in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other. And your body's screaming, stop. And your mind says, oh, no, we're not stopping. We've got so many more miles to go. And you just keep going and going and going. Testing produces endurance. Metals, we test metals and make them more durable. Uh, we test other things. We are in a, a scientific age where we love testing things and applying things. There's TV shows all about testing the how uh, things will work. Consumer Reports sends out a report of, of cars and how well cars last and all appliances and everything else because they're going to see how much endurance something has. And if usually something you buy at the dollar store is not going to have endurance. It's not meant to have endurance or it wouldn't be at the dollar store. It's meant to give you a little bit of pleasure for a little bit of time at a little bit of money and then you chuck it. Throw it away. But things you buy that are pricey, that are weighty, that are valuable, are meant to last. We have a confident reason for our rejoicing, our knowing God. And you know what our tests do for us here? Our tests test what? What does it say it tests? It tests our faith. Every trial tests our faith. Faith in what? Faith in ourselves? Oh, it will test that too. But it's testing our faith in God. See, our world says to, to, uh, to believe in yourself. If you just believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything. And I am really sick and tired of hearing that. I almost want to gag when I hear that. And almost every celebrity, every sports star says that whenever given a microphone. Hey, what do kids need to do? They just need to believe in yourself. No, they don't. They need to have a lot of money, and their parents need to pour a lot of money into their sports. They need to have gym memberships, and they need to have a lot of, uh, a lo a lot of time, and your whole life needs to be that sport. That's what it takes. And you need to be really, really fast and really, really talented, and you better not get hurt. 
That's what it takes. They don't tell you that, though. Just believe in yourself. Oh, yeah, I'm going to believe in myself. And you get out and you start running on a 90 degree gate. You're like, I don't believe in myself anymore. I'm done. I don't have that desire uh, for being a sports star or whatever anymore. But you know what testing does? It shows us what we're made out of. It shows us where, how strong really is your faith. Another author of a um, commentary says this about affliction. It's a blazing torch to the person, the Christian's nature. There's more to it, and he, he has the blazing torch go inside of us. There's what God's allow, God-ordained trials do for us. They show us what's inside of our heart and how, how confident is our faith in God. And he finds his faith weak where he thought it strong. His views dim where he thought them clear. You can say, I love God, I'll go through God, I'll die for Christ, which is what Peter said. And Christ allowed Peter's faith to be tested. And what was it? It was weak. How do we know it was weak? Because he ran away. He wouldn't die for Christ. Instead of dying for Christ, he denied Christ. But you know what? Peter died as a martyr, which means his faith grew. And eventually, he did die for Christ. But it wasn't an immature. Probably Peter was in his early 20s at that point. Um, he wasn't an old man. Christ was older than him, we think. And uh, Peter had endurance. He needed more trials. And we see Peter, even in the book of Acts, that his faith is much stronger. He's in prison. He thinks he's going to die. And he's sleeping the night before he dies. He has to be hit with an angel to be woken up to get out of here, Peter. And he is ready to die for Christ. But his faith was weak in Christ, even with in the presence of Christ, where Christ could look at him in the um, around the fire. And as soon as Christ and Peter's eyes met, Peter was crushed by his weak faith. We're like that. How do we know we're like that? Trials show us that. Trials show us that our faith is weak. And I had us read uh, Psalm 73. You say, that was a long psalm. Jeff knows that's a long psalm. He read it. And the rest of us are like, that's a long psalm. But why do we read that psalm? That psalm is envious. The, the psalm writer is envious of the wicked for most of the psalm until he goes into the presence of God and says, okay, I know where the wicked end up. I don't need to be envious of them. As we go through trials and we struggle, let's say we struggle financially and look at wealthy people that are very, very ungodly and say, oh, why is all the, it seems like these ungodly, they don't even fear God, they may be atheists, they are well off. And I am struggling with my jalopy car, just hoping and praying that I can get to my work or get to church or whatever. Where's your faith? Our faith is not in ourselves, it's not in our bank account, it's not in our health, it's not in our kids to provide for us, it's not in the government to provide for us, it's not in the president, it's not in the weather to be good, it's not in anything else in this world that we can see. Our faith is in the living God, who is great in power, and his greatness is unsearchable. That's where our faith needs to be. 
And when we have trials, it tests where your faith really is. And don't be surprised. I used to be surprised when I go through trials and I'm like, this is too hard. I just want to quit. Why am I a pastor? Why can't I just go get a different job? Nope. My faith is weak. This trial is just showing me my faith is weak. My focus is on myself or on my bank account or on something else. It's not on the living God. And I need to change my focus. I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart, not leaning on my own understanding. And affliction is a good thing because it shows us where our faith really lies. Finally, that's a confident reason than a confident result. All this is confidence. This is one truth after another truth, and epistles do this for us. They tie these things together, and James ties the uh, reaction of rejoicing to the reason for the rejoicing. And this reason for rejoicing is looking for the result. What are we expecting this steadfastness to do? If I'm going out and running and training for the Boston Marathon, I'm expecting in April of 2020 to have a result, and I'm not training. But if I was, I would expect to be able to run 26 miles in a certain amount of time so that I have achieved my goal and finished the race. What is the result that we're expecting? Look at verse 4. Let steadfastness or endurance have its full, or that's the word whole, or perfect, or complete effect, that you may be perfect, same word, and complete, lacking nothing. So I give you two things here, and these uh, are with the two words that uh, James refers us to here. Okay, so what is the difference between perfect and complete, lacking nothing? One is a strengthening where something is weak, and one is adding where there's something that is missing. Okay, so if I have, um, if I have, well, you all have arms, okay? On your arm, you have a bicep, okay? You all have, I think you all have biceps, right? Okay, and depending on how much you work out that bicep, you can either strengthen it or if you just sit and clicking channels or just doing this with food is not going to help your bicep to get stronger, okay? So sitting around, a lack of exercise, your bicep is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. It's still there unless you have surgery and have a part of your arm or that removed or for whatever reason. But all of us probably have at least one bicep, okay? And our biceps are uh, meant for strength. So this is the first word, the strengthening of character. All of us as Christians have saving faith. Right? We've all exercised saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we are, can call ourselves Christians. So, But our faith in Christ sometimes is very weak. And so James says, you know what you need for, to strengthen your faith? You need trials of various kinds. Oh, no. And I've been to the gym before I got married. A lot of guys go to the gym before they get married, Right? An exercise. And my cousin told me, we're doing curls for the girls. Okay? And that was our that was our motivation. Curls for the girls. Until I started dating my wife. I said, oh no, it's not curls for the girls. Curls for the girl. 
like we're narrowing this down. He was dating seriously at the time too, so we agreed. That was that was good. Um, but you you can spend all your time on one machine, and you may you may know someone that goes to the gym and they spend all their time on arms. And they're just like, and their arms are huge, and their legs like pencils, and you're like, what? Or the rest of their body is not strong, but their arms are huge because that's what people see. And in the summertime, yeah, show off the guns, right? And they're strong, but they maybe need to add something else to their routine because there's more parts of their body if they want to be complete uh, and fully strong. And we are strong at times, and all of us are strong in different ways. But God gives us and orchestrates trials in our lives so that we get stronger where we are weak. And he allows these trials. If you look at Job's life, he really, really loved his kids, and he was scared to death that something bad would happen to them. That's why he offered sacrifices for them. That's what we find in Job 1. And something bad happened to his kids. I'm not saying that's why it happened. That's not why it happened. But he needed to be stronger in trusting the Lord and holding his kids instead of tightly and being so fearful that something bad is going to happen to them to allow God to control their life and encourage them to act wisely. But uh, we all have to hold things and people um, lightly and hold on to God um, tightly. And trials help us to strengthen our character. Sometimes we just don't have any character in a certain area at all. And we don't we aren't born again as Christians with all all the character that we need. There are sometimes completely missing self-control of language. And we're convicted about this. And we don't even have any idea of how to change our speech when we get when we people get saved. I don't even know where to start. And trials help us to know. Uh, how to avoid whenever we get upset is not a time to curse God. That's how immature Christians live. We need to think of how we need to bless God. And here are ways to bless God. And we can help people. And, and trials help us to add character where it's lacking. And that's what James 4, 1, 4 says. Let steadfastness have its full or perfecting, maturing, completing effect that you may be perfect. That is strengthening what is weak. And complete, that's adding what you don't have. And then it adds this phrase, lacking nothing. So that you're not avoiding anything. And if you, you watch people that work out, and they have, and if you watch people that are very serious about it, and they say, okay, Monday, Wednesday, Friday are my legs days, and, and uh, these days are my back and arms days. And they, they have got all major body parts of their exercise routine worked into a normal schedule. Why? Because they want to be a complete person having their whole body strong. And some people even say, okay, I need to strengthen my mind. And they do crossword puzzles and other things, or they want a challenging job so that it keeps their mind sharp. Um, and uh, some people focus on, on food. And people that are focused on their earthly body are going to make sure their mind and their, their intake of food and their, their muscles, all of, all of them are strong. Well, God wants all parts of our Christian character to be strengthened. And trials do that for us. Alfred Plummer in his book says, This hard saying of James is really a merciful one, for it teaches us to endure the trials in the spirit. That's in the trusting God frame of mind, knowing that these trials produce endurance, and endurance is producing in us Christian maturing character. 
and a spirit that will make us feel them the least. You know really mature people, Christian mature Christians, they can have a lot of different trials going on at once, and it seems like they're still stable. And you're like, how do they do that? I have gone to visit people and try to be an encouragement to them, and I leave the hospital more encouraged than I think I left them because of how they are responding in this trial. I'm like, wow, they've got a chance to witness and I didn't get a chance to witness in the hospital because I wasn't in the hospital, just as a visitor. But they're in the hospital, and they got to use this as an opportunity to witness. And maybe more than once, you think, wow, that is so encouraging. And whenever we are mature in our faith, no matter what trials God allows us to go through, we can use it for his glory. And as we use trials for his glory, Alfred Plummer says here, it'll make us feel those trials the least. Finally, verse 5. A confident request. It's nothing like trials that you you know these things to be true about God, and you're trying to figure out how to endure, how to put the one foot in front of the other spiritually, and how not to fall into a complaining spirit or bitterness or anger or just stoic, come to church, put a smile on for everybody, yeah, everything's good, and you leave and everything is not good. It's horrible. But you don't want to tell anybody that. You appear like you are enduring, but you're not. You're struggling, and you have no idea where to turn. That's where we end in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and it's, it's trials after trials that I think, okay, I got this parenting thing down, and then, oh, I have no idea what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> I've got this pastoring thing down. I know what to do in every situation. Anyone that, no, no, never going to get there. And I got this uh, adult thing down. I, I turned 40, so I should be middle-aged, right? And there I should have all of, the, uh, <laughs> all of life down. Oh, no, there's so much more to life. And I can fake confidence, but it's actually a weakness to fake something that's not true. And when we come to God and say, God, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next, if any of you lacks wisdom, how to apply knowledge, let him ask God. Why are we asking God? Because we are confident in God's ability. Here's what happens with trials. Job found this out too. He lacked ability to handle those trials. He lacked knowledge. He lacked wisdom. He did not know what to do, and he cried out to God. God showed up and helped Job with exactly what he needed. He needed a clear picture of God, or he didn't have it. All of the trials that we go through, here's what we need, a clear picture of God. And when during these trials we cry out to God and say, God, I lack wisdom, but I know you do not. That is showing that you're trusting and confident in God's ability. See, there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to endure more than you can handle, but will with the temptation make a way to escape so that you can be able to bear it. That is 1 Corinthians 10.13. That verse has helped me so many trials. Because I think, at times, I've got more than I can bear. I've got trial after trial of various kinds at the same time, and I've got zero resources. I'm done. I'm out. I tap out, I give up, God, I'm done with life. And God says, you're looking in the wrong place for answers, for I look at my ability, I'm everlasting. 
God never runs out of wisdom. He never runs out of knowing what to do. We just need to cry out to him. So I'm asking God who has the answers. He has the ability. But he also, look at verse 5, says, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. There's confidence there. That's why we chose confidence as our theme today. It will be given him. Why is God going to answer this cry of the Christian? Because this Christian is trusting in God's ability and trusting in God's character. What causes us to cry out to God in trials? Because he's got wisdom, yes, but he also has a generous spirit. He's never going to say to us as Christians, Fry, you asked for that yesterday. Come back tomorrow. You asked for that last week, and I gave it to you, and you, you'd still, you're still struggling. You need to grow up, Fry. He doesn't reproach us. When my little kids came to me and said, Dad, I don't know how to ride my bike. I'm like, you'll get it. Go. No, I ran along behind them and held the seat, or held them so that they could learn. Sometimes I let go, and sometimes they fell. But if I'm a, an evil dad, and I know how to give my kids good things, how much more our Heavenly Father will give us good things when we ask Him? If you lack wisdom, and you're searching for God's wisdom... In the pages of Scripture, you're, you're searching for, give me a story that has somebody similar to what I'm going through. And it's not, Joe, I'm not going through that. I'm not going through what Peter went through and walking on the water. I'm not going through what John went through or Paul. I just don't know of any person that's gone through what I'm going through right now. I don't have any wisdom. I've looked for it, and I can't find it. God, you've got to help me. He does. Based on his ability and based on his character. And Psalm 145 keeps coming back to my mind because it shows God's ability and it also shows God's character. And as we meditate on that, we will run to our God when we have trials. We won't walk, we won't limp, we won't crawl, we will run to him when we need help and when we need wisdom. And it's trials that give us that. Hebert is a commentary that I have enjoyed the most. God gives wisdom without ulterior motives, harboring no calculated desire to get something in return. God never says, yeah, I'll give you that, but you better serve me. That's how we would kind of like, yeah, I'll help you, but you better pay me back. No, that's not our God. He doesn't reproach. He gives liberally, and we're going to talk next week about the the warning that James gives and how we talk to God in prayer. Uh, but for conclusion today, how can I rejoice in trials? There's two ways that we can go through trials. There's a without God way, and there's a with God way. Christians can choose one. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you only have choice A as your option. And I tell you that lovingly and mercifully because there, God's not going to help you through trials if you will not trust him as Savior. He will keep sending you trials until you trust him as Savior. And so you will trust him as Savior. That's the mercy of our God. There's the without God way. We all wake up on the without God way path. Natural man, the world's way. We could have put a lot of titles on this way. But these trials that we have, various trials, lead us to discontentment, anger and fear, despair, 
And worse, they often show up as we handle trials incorrectly with complaining. We complain. We're bitter. We're angry. We're fearful. We just can't wait until it ends. This is the without God way. God never meant for us to live life without him. He never meant for us to go through trials without him. And you know Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. God does not force himself on any of us. If you want to go through your trials without God, God will say, yep, there they are. In a fallen world, we'll have various trials. All of us do. And without Christ today, if you're watching or you're here today, this is your only option. And I don't know why more and more people aren't despairing. Or they fool themselves into, I can live God life without God and it'll be fine. No, you can't. God tells us in James 1 here, here's the with God way. God is with us. We know he is with us. He always is with us. And we're expecting the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us to help us to respond to these various trials in a way that pleases God. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to produce in you? Joy. A confidence that God knows what he's doing. You're able to rejoice. He's able, he, the Holy Spirit also with you, he's going to help you to endure. Your number one goal isn't to get out of the trial, it's to go through the trial and make sure that you stay right close to God. And that you're learning from him, you're learning through this, and you're coming out the other side of this trial closer to God. You're getting more mature as a Christian. Your prayer life is increasing. All of these things equal a closer walk with God. We all want a closer walk with God, but we don't want the trials. James is telling us mature Christians, we aren't looking for trials, but when, we, when they come, we're going to face them this way. Every trial, and we'll have some this week, I'm sure, is an opportunity to choose which way are you going to handle them. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth and the wisdom that you give us through James to the early church. And now that we can read, give us understanding, give us humility to not blame you for our trials and blame Satan and complain through the whole process. I pray that you would help us to trust you, help us to rejoice and walk close with you, sometimes grieving sometimes crying, sometimes reaching out to other Christians to help us, and always holding very close to you. You know what it's like to go through trials. Christ endured temptation and suffered everything that was possible to suffer on earth. Our Savior suffered, and he is with us. His Spirit of Christ lives within us, and we're so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I pray for those here today who do not have your Spirit in them, that their trials this week would ca cause them to cry out to you in fear of your judgment, in fear of life without you, and that you would save them, and you would help them to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb for freedom from themselves, freedom from their sin, and that they would find deliverance. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.